Mushroom Hour. Today on Mushroom Hour, we have the joy of interviewing Mandy Quark, aka Mushroom Madman. Mandy is an intriguing blend of artist and scientist who has been completely taken over by mushrooms. She spent the first part of her career studying molecular biology in academia, meanwhile culturing a healthy mycology fascination on the side. For more than a decade, Mandy worked as a biomedical research scientist at a top 100 hospital in Philadelphia. There, while earning her master's in biochemistry from the University of Sciences, Mandy performed high throughput screening in a chemical genomics lab. Mandy made the decision to hang up her academic lab coat in 2018 to pursue an alternative career path. In her spare time, Mandy enjoys taking pictures of mushrooms and explaining the mysteries and complexities of science to the general public. Her current mission is to offer her artistic mushroom photography to the public in hopes of obtaining the financial support to bolster her independent scientific research and citizen mycology work. With an impressive range of scientific knowledge and some really ambitious future plans, I think you'll agree she is an inspiring mycological powerhouse to follow. Mandy, thanks for coming on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. What an honor. <laughs> well, I was the honor is all mine. I, I've followed your work um, for a long time and have learned much from your Instagram page. That's the Mushroom Madman. And what's really cool to find out is after talking with you, we're both from the same place. Yes, we are. And I just want to say really quick, I've spent many hours geeking out to your um, Instagram page. So I'm glad you're, you're we have this cool cycle going where you're learning from me, geeking out on uh, you, you being funny. <laughs> really cool to hear that. Uh, I'm giving you a laugh. Probably not any new information, but maybe I'm making making uh, making you smile. Um, well, for people that don't know you, how did you get into the world of mushrooms? I know I listed off kind of a pretty impressive resume in my introduction there about your your background in academia, but I guess how did you where how did you get from academia into mushrooms? Okay, so <clears throat> we'll go we'll back up just a bit. Um, and we can go back to the Maryland thing for a second. So yeah, yeah. I was born and raised in Harford County, Maryland, um, which is the county to, to the northeast of Baltimore County. And I say Baltimore like Baltimore. I just think it's so funny because I just think you're really funny and maybe our humor is from the same area. I don't I don't know. But um <laughs> I've been told I just, I couldn't believe it when I was like, I wanna come on your podcast and you're like I'm from Maryland too. Like, wow, you love Maryland, don't you? I love Maryland. I tell I people that Maryland is so cool. I also also love Maryland. So, see, I knew it. We both love Maryland. There's a there's a bond. All right, great. Well, guess what? I'm taking it back to Maryland because I got my undergraduate degree in St. Mary's College, which is a public honors college in Southern Maryland, and it's not on the Eastern Shore, but it's um like deep dirty south uh, southern maryland on the i had a lot of friends that went West there actually. i had a friend that oh, studied yeah. i had a friend that studied chemistry there which is kind of weird i did that is what i studied there so you have two friends now you can tell people that studied at saint mary's <laughs> chemistry program saint mary's graduates you have two friends now don't neglect mentioning me <laughs> no no you're, you're definitely time. you're top two now <laughs> top two for sure <laughs> Anyway, St. Mary's was awesome. It was just this tiny little college, a lot of science focus. There's a lot of other science majors around me all the time. I was actually president of the physics club in my senior year because they just had no one to do it. And I was like, I'll do it. So, um, yeah, so I was a chemistry major at St. Mary's, president of the physics club. I minored in math. And then um, just because, and then I, I really wanted to get my degree in a really weird field called pharmacognosy, which there's only a couple degree programs in the whole country. And one of them was the University of Sciences in Philly. And I had just like met 
someone that I knew that lived in Philly. So I was like, all right, after college, I'm going to move up to Philly. <clears throat> and so what, is, what is pharmacognosy? I thought you said pharmacology, but Ph pharmacognosy. Nope. Yep, it's pharmacognosy. So it's the study of natural product medicines. Oh, wow. So the so there's like two classes generally of medicines. There's like the synthetic drugs that people create in a laboratory. And then there's right. natural product medicine, which would be anything from a plant, a fungus, a sea sponge, um, you know, anything natural. So it's almost like a degree kind of formalized Western herbal medicine and kind of knowledge of compounds uh, of those plants. And yeah. Things. You know what? It would be like the Western medicine version of that sort of degree. Yeah. But then I didn't end up going for that because to be completely honest with you guys, it's like there was like four more credits or something. It was like a whole nother class to get that major when I could just take one less class and get a degree in biochem. And it saved me like thousands you know, of dollars for that class. Plus, I was able to graduate a semester early. So I was like, well, I'm just going to change my major to biochemistry because it's like the, literally it was like all the same requirements except for one less class and I would graduate <laughs> earlier. <laughs> so I have my degree in biochemistry, but I went for pharmacognosy. Well, that's really cool to hear about. I, I didn't <clears throat> even know that existed, but I think both paths imply kind of a level of scientific and academic rigor when you say you have a degree in biochemistry like that sounds way harder than what I went to school for so I guess totally. did you was that something that you kind of had always been interested in growing up you were into the sciences and that's why you, you chose that uh okay I was like I liked chemistry in high school a lot and then I was like oh I'm in my senior year of high school I was like I'm going to just load myself down with science. Everyone was like, oh, I'm going to take it easy. And I was like, I'd rather, I think I took like five science classes. I took like physics, anatomy and physiology, which I regret because I think I got a bad grade. And then uh, botany, which was like an amazing offering um, in my high school. It was just one semester and like a couple other classes, but um I really like the chemistry the most. I feel like it's like really foundational for, for it's foundational for physics. It's also foundational for like all the bio, like bio, biological stuff. Too. Yeah. It's also something fundamental in kind of how our natural world works, which I think is always when people have gotten degrees like that, that are in the sciences, I always think, man, I probably should have done that because they're, they're principles and information that's really extant of culture and really like get you a, a baseline understanding of how things work that kind of no one could take away from you. That's always inherently useful in different ways. Um, so yeah, I, I've always admired that, but it sounds like mycology wasn't really in the mix at that point. Okay. So I, got when I got into mushrooms it was all originally originally when I got into them it was in grad school and it was because the professor that I had who was my mentor or whatever you had to have like someone you were training under sure that guy had a bunch of these magazines called the herbalgram in his office and I saw a reishi mushroom on the front of it, it was a Paul Stamets article um and reishi mushrooms like Bam, 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 down the list like antibacterial antimicrobial like all this like literally everything checked off the list that it could be a potent medicinal i was like wow reishi is like completely amazing and it's not just that but it's like medicinal value but it's beautiful and it's it's color it's varnish that's what attracted me to that magazine cover like it was a reishi mushroom that got me originally. But, so it was your mentor's magazine, not necessarily something in coursework. And no, it was I, just sitting on the counter. I think that's interesting that, you know, the, the unique compounds of fungi or kind of some kind of tangential appreciation, because I would imagine in the pharma, pharmacognosy, am I saying that right? Yep. Pharmacognosy, they probably talked about plants and different properties and 
compounds present in there. Um, but it would seem like a big gap to leave out. No, they fungi. they talked. No, they didn't. They talked about fungi. There's stuff you're not okay. thinking of too. There's a whole um, there's a whole source of natural products from the ocean. Oh, of and course. then what about like certain like frog medicines and like all those things? They talked about all those things. It was a really cool cool class. It was cool. I I think I took. I took pharmacognosy and then I also took ethnobotany, which was a similar class for that degree. Yeah. So ethnobotany actually means, so remember pharmacognosy means uh, the study of natural products from plants. That's more like, how is it useful for humans? Ethnobotany is like more say, you know, okay. So botany is specifically for plants. Pharmacognosy is not. And then oh, okay. ethno attached, ethno attached would mean it's how native people used those plants. So there's also a thing called ethnomycology. How did native people use mushrooms like Amanita muscaria with the um, in Russian culture and like right. ancient people using that? Um, that's ethnomycology. That would be ethnomycology. So ethnobotany. I happened to take that. I got to take that class. I, I jumped the gun then assuming that, you know, fungi or mushrooms are somehow left out of this whole world of academia. But it sounds no. like you were familiarized with them in your, in your undergrad I was, program. I wanted, I would love to have studied them in my actual job but i never got a right. chance to because we didn't really do anything with natural products in that drug screening laboratory that i worked in for like 10 years right it was definitely an experience i knew it was none of that was really what i wanted to do i, I knew i didn't want to get my doctorate because it was just more school so, so that that lab work that you started outside of school in that in that genomics lab if i'm remembering correctly from my own intro yeah. here um, but yeah. in that in that genomics lab that, you know, kind of hit on your interests of wanting to work in a lab, but maybe it wasn't fulfilling on all the different talents you had and kind of it wasn't because it was. Yes. Yeah, so this is what it was. That's exactly right, because it, it was restricting my creativity because it was the same thing every day and it was for someone else. So I was very right. limited on the gifts I could show and like the creativity that I could personally bring to projects because it was someone else's dream and like someone else's goals basically. So I've tried over the past. So I quit that job. Right. So I got my degree in 2014. I still worked there for like four more years. It just like went down and downhill. I, I had personal tragedy during that time. Finally, we got out of there last year, got out of Philly, moved out of that house, sold the house um, last June, no, June of 2015, just June of 2018. I'm sorry. I'm so losing track of the years, it being 2020 now. So that was June of 2018. So then didn't know what to do. Ended up living in West Virginia for six months. Um, like kind of went back to Maryland. Then I was like, you know, Maryland, <laughs> I made my own sound effect just there. Uh, and uh, I was like, all right, I'm getting out. I'm getting the out to go to West Virginia. Right. So then I go to West Virginia for six months. I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst winter ever. And then it, and then by then it was Michael's turn to pick somewhere to live. Um, and I think that's really important it. too, to talk he about your micro yeah. partner in crime because just it, it, I know that you guys, you know, have been for me kind of synonymous in the world of mycology. So tell us a little bit about Michael. Yeah. So Michael had a great, great idea to move down here to this rainforest. And we actually moved down to the perfect town so randomly on like some, we we're only going to visit once and then like, know you know like figure out where we're living from afar right and when we have one month to get out of west virginia it was crazy it was like i can't even believe it worked out but okay michael's a genius because he took us to like a smaller town where people are super nice to us and everyone seems really open to doing things and i'll get back to that but um yeah michael's just he's doing really 
really good. He has a business. He's what's inspired me to make my own business and do my own website because, you know, like he is running and functioning a mycology business and he has been for years and it's like amazing. So he keeps it together. His business is thriving and prospering. Um, I just had to high five him earlier today and be like, you're freaking killing it this week. Like he's having a really good week. So I'm happy for him. He deserves all the stuff that he can get, you know, all the notoriety because he just works literally like 12 hours a day down here all the time. And um, he, so I met him in 2015, the, the worst year of my life when Scott died. So it, it was a real, that was my brother. So it was a real something terrible and something great at the same time happening. Right. Um, and then just life had to shift around for a couple years, you know, like till we got to this spot. It was like a tornado, like circling and circling. And then finally just like, ah, landed, like get out and see <laughs> us. Right. Now, now <laughs> it sounds like Michael had already had his, you know, had himself well into the world of mycology at that point. So were yeah, you he, he was. interested in it right when you met him or did he really pull you into the into kingdom fungi well he pulled me into the practical and i pulled him into the theoretical because remember i said i was all theoretical i was like writing papers i was like researching mushrooms in grad school but never getting out in the woods and he was like Oh. you know getting like 15 million tick bites every time he would go out because he just like <laughs> had to be out for like three more hours or whatever you know right right and i was like what like what are you doing you're crazy so it was like the complete opposite when i first met him so it was like a transition into like going into the woods like what a great combination though i mean what a great combination to have you be like the highly theoretical science background and then you find kind of this woodsy myco shaman who can bring you out in the woods and be like, yep. no, 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 let me show you what these actually look like. Let's go find new yep. things together. Um, and I just, there's something too to me about partnership. Like for me, my partner is huge in doing what we do, which is, you know, put out little videos and uh, obviously this podcast. And I just think having a partner who's into it makes whatever you're doing together like 10 times better, just having that communal energy I mean, in your case where your skill sets might have been like a great overlap, and I find that with my partner too, where you kind of cover each other's little weak areas and then, you know, you're kind of coming together and building something better than what you could have built by yourself. And I always find that like so rewarding and feel so lucky to have someone who's interested in the same things I am. And I'm sure for your, or I would think for you guys, it worked the same way. Yeah, that is lucky. It was super cute. I could hear her voice um, telling you to, like, before we went on, she was like, now give it 15 seconds. And oh, that's space. amazing. See, so she, keeps me, <laughs> she keeps me on track. None of this would exist without her. I think that's pretty important to point out. Um, there yeah. would be no mushroom hour without Shakti. So, so you guys came together like this mycological power couple you start getting out into the woods i would imagine once I, you... I was like a dummy in the beginning i mean <laughs> i knew about the theoretical stuff but right. also there's like aspects of it that i like still don't understand because i haven't really thought about that uh, he understands like he understands like spores and like uh that is such a mystery right like spores like like it's really complicated it's like way more complicated than you even think like thinking about like a totally different kingdom of organism and how they like regenerate or re whatever like come come alive from from just a tiny dot of what it, like i don't know that's mind-blowing to me i he, i understand he, other things he seems so uniquely... much more well, he seems uniquely in touch with some of the mysteries of mushrooms. Like he seems really at home in kingdom fungi, especially for some of those things that, you know, like, like you're saying that I have no basis for, he seems to have like this comfortable working knowledge of, and I think that speaks to, you know, him having done this for so long, he's kind of embodied mm -hmm. it on a cellular level. And for anyone who 
has never heard of Michael Weiss. He's on Instagram as Mushroom Life. I believe that's his website and his business name as well. It's Mushroom Life, like just L-I-F-E regularly, but on Instagram, someone else has that name. So he's Life with a Y. Right. Uh, okay, but the website, it's L-I-F-E.com mushroomlife.com well so that's really cool that he was able to like pull you and give you a practical foundation for some of the stuff that you were interested in you were researching and i guess when you guys were going out did you in that theoretical work did you already have a knowledge of mushroom identification no or did that come okay not nothing i didn't know anything that okay, that's hard to believe. That's hard to believe. Yeah, just like four or five years. Because we talk about it uh, like 24 hours a day. He, Michael is constantly coming up to me and being like, some name that yeah. I never, like, and I'm like, what's that? We're in the rainforest now, so it's a lot of different species too. Like there's a lot of stuff that I've like never heard of in this region that I was much more familiar with more stuff in Pennsylvania and Maryland um, to just go out and be like comfortable leading a foray. Like, I don't even know if I would lead a foray without Michael down here right now, because I I think there's definitely stuff like I would perhaps become embarrassed if I didn't know something because we saw these like golf ball bowl leaps in the woods. I was like, what is that? Like some crazy like sign them that I had like never it's just there's some crazy stuff down here I'm like and you guys are in North Carolina now correct yeah we're in okay we're in the far southwestern most tip so we are 20 minutes to Georgia and 20 minutes to Tennessee right on the border down there in the south and when you say rainforest I think everyone has you know a certain image of the rainforest but that area is is actually a uh, uh, rainforest. I mean, you have that level of biodiversity and that level of uh, rain. rainfall. We have that level yeah. of rain. Yes, we do. <laughs> it's a temperate rainforest. Yep. I think the only other temperate rainforest, or one of them, only other temperate rainforest in this country is up there. Oregon, maybe. By um, the Ho Rainforest or whatever, like the the Olympic Peninsula rainforest yeah. and stuff like that. Yep. I think Make- that that's the only other like temperate. And then of course, like Vancouver Island and like North, but that's not really this country. Was there anything else about that area that makes it a great habitat? Is it, is it just climate? Yeah, no, I mean, yep. There's no one here. <laughs> there's <laughs> 300 people in this town that we live in. So that makes it great because mushrooms really don't want to be around people, especially the rare ones that we don't see. I mean, they're generally, some of them take the most perfect conditions ever to even fruit ever. Like they could be there for 50 years. I have no idea how long in a tree or whatever, waiting for the perfect conditions. So all these people digging up the soil and putting houses down and, Oh God, Maryland! You know, <laughs> yeah, Maryland. Like, Maryland's packed like them in. Lost freaking God, dude! I... Do you guys lead uh, forages down there? Is that something? I some people who know so much about mushrooms don't always take people out on forays, and then I know there are people around that you know know just enough, and they take. So, do you guys ever take people around on forays and mushroom hunts? Yeah, um, that was a really important thing for Michael when he lived in in Baltimore. I think that's how he got started was doing like weekly walks or forays or whatever. But we ramped that down not because of any reason, just because, I don't know, it's like thick woods around here. I, I don't know if we had like the perfect foray spot yet um last year we just were kind of scouting you know we had to go to a different place like every weekend sometimes to like see you know what is what's here on the map when you drive out to this road like what does this look like so um there's a lot of that going on so i there's a couple places we could have forays um we're doing a class in the town next door to the town of 300 people which has like about 1500 people which is better 
um, possibly attendance rate. Um, right, right. But anyway, this town has nothing. It's just a post office and a gas station. But um, yeah, the next town over that has like stores and stuff, that is where we're going to. It's actually very artsy down here. Like they have a first Friday and we're, we're going to be speaking at the Murphy Art Center, which is just exactly what it sounds like the art center for around here and they coordinate a lot of events like the first fridays in the summer and um we we're even though we haven't spoke yet our class is february 29th everyone is so hyped i think for us to speak that we are we're teachers of the month for february nice even though we haven't even taught yet so i'm <laughs> you guys are building quite the reputation I'm very excited yeah well and that's and that's a perfect jump into uh you know what the project you're working on now which really intrigues me so we've kind of covered foraging you're scouting out a new area it sounds like something you're both passionate about but the other side of this which is kind of citizen mycology the project you're working on now with your background being interested in mycology makes a lot of sense i know obviously we've talked about michael's really into mycology really is a deep understanding of this stuff but you know there are a lot of foragers who aren't into citizen science or diy mycology and then vice versa there are people into diy mycology that don't necessarily get out into the woods you guys are kind of a unique blend so what is the project you're working on now with citizen mycology and like you were just talking about and with art? How are you combining those oh things? Oh my God. Well, it's a crazy idea. Um, it could only be done by someone who is both right and left brained, such as myself, right. um, which is unique. So we all have to bring our skills to the table. That is what I have learned. And it's, really my I just love this lady Liz Gilbert she writes this awesome book on creativity um and she just really has inspired me to be like what are my own unique gifts and how can I bring those to the table so I have all this training I'm like what can I do and I've been marinating on it for months um trying to think like what is my own thing what's my own thing like what am I good at like what are my own unique gifts so I have all of this huge like library of photos and then I also have this training in molecular biology basically and I'm like how what can I do like how can I combine them so I we just have always me and Michael like ever since we got together so like almost five years we, we've been talking about doing the DNA analysis of the mushrooms we find because he's good enough to know which ones are like more rare and stuff. So that's a super critical part of it, right? Like you can't just like save every mushroom and test it. Like you need to know which ones are kind of worth testing because right. of this weird trait or that weird trait or whatever. So he's a crucial like part of that too. Um, so once we would identify the dream is the goal is once we identify a cool mushroom we're studying that could be something new or different to get the DNA like the equipment to do the DNA extractions ourselves and then send it away for sequencing and then once we get the sequences back we're going to you know I'm just going to bootstrap this and learn how to read the sequence data in whatever software program. So we don't have this stuff yet. We don't have it yet. But um, right. I just sat down the other day and made a list of all the equipment that we would need. And I made this, it's like a donation page. So people will be able to donate. It's called a plum fund. I was just going to say, while you're, while you're looking it up, so many things come into my mind, especially oh my gosh. that really cool element of, you know, taking it to the next level of, of uh, DNA sequencing, you know, that's kind of like the extreme of mushroom identification. I'm sure you guys get all the pictures folks send you of like a dried up mushroom, just the top of it. Like, what is this? And so there, there's, there's a level of education for people to get the basics of kind of physical identification. And that's, you know, paying attention to what tree it comes from. What was it growing on? Are the gills attached to the stem? Obviously, we need to see the top and the bottom of a mushroom. And then some time of year, what was the weather like for the four days before that? 
blah, right. blah, blah. Right. And then some people take it to the spore print, which is kind of the next stage in identification. But what you're talking about is actually taking a piece of the mushroom itself, running it through PCR. And I, and even though I've kind of heard a Basically, lot about this, what you do, there's yeah. like three steps. What we're going to do is get the equipment to extract the DNA. So you just put a little piece of mushroom at the bottom of like a sterile tube and like grind it with like a, this thing called a pestle with a solution and then like that i don't know you like let it sit or something it extracts it you take what it extracts centrifuge it you just get the liquids and then you kind of like that's like that's actually the most important part and then you could actually send that away for sequencing pretty much right there but what Alan Rockefeller is teaching everyone how to do right now is like run it on a gel. And that's basically just to confirm that what you have is like that there's something in that to be analyzed because everyone says uh, like it's science, you know, like it could not go into the solution. It could right. have not penetrated the cell wall or whatever. It could be undetectable amount. It could something crazy could have gone wrong a piece of fuzz could have dropped in that well or something you never know like so you don't want to send away like say you're sending away like 100 samples you don't want like 20 of them to be like messed up so he's like basically teaching people hey let's run a gel to just like check the presence um of these you know things that we we just like pieces of DNA basically are there after you run the PCR reaction on them. So basically what, what you're doing is extracting, amplifying the DNA and then checking that it, it worked basically, and then sending it away to get sequenced. And then once I get the data back, so I don't actually sequence it because I don't have a sequencer and they're like a hundred thousand dollars or something crazy. So you can send it away for a certain amount of money per sample. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> that's what, that's like the protocol that most citizens, my citizen at my colleagists are using right now. And what I'm saying is I want to be able to do that too. And I don't have pipetters or like, there's like, you know, pipetters are just for moving tiny amounts of liquid around. I don't have like the lab supplies that I used to have when I worked at my last lab job because they weren't mine. I had to like leave them there. So I know how to do it all, but it's expensive. And I want like sure. nice Eppendorf pipetters. Like I don't want to deal with like, I don't want to <laughs> deal with crap pipetters because they're that bad. They don't measure correctly. They will measure twice the amount of a tiny liquid, which is disastrous. When you're measuring a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of liquid, twice the amount of liquid is very far off. Well, and I think this opens up an even bigger conversation about this universe of citizen mycology. You know, there's a place, you mentioned the name Alan Rockefeller. So there's uh, out here in the Bay Area in Oakland, we have a lab. It's kind of a public citizen science lab called Counterculture Labs. Um, I can't speak to how good their pipetters were because I didn't know well enough, but well, they basically lab. Well, and I think it was it was important for me to have access to that, this like public lab where I could pay a monthly fee and then I have yeah. access to these things. That's where I, I first saw Alan doing some of that work. I did not know what I was looking at at the time, but he was doing some of that work in that lab. And so for oh. me, having a public space like that was so useful because yeah, who can afford, like I can't buy a whole science lab for myself, much less have a collective of people kind of intermingling. You have the knowledge that they could share with other people. And it's something that I don't really hear of, like from where we're from in Maryland. I don't think there's anything in Maryland that does that. There like, is, there is, oh. there's a lab in Baltimore now. I, you know so what, cool. I wish I knew what it was called off the top of my head, but there is totally a, they don't have that much good equipment. There's one piece of equipment that I would want they don't have. However, it's very cool that it exists. I agree. I can't remember what Michael, do you remember what that lab in Baltimore is called? Baltimore Underground Science Space. Of course he knows. It's like an encyclopedia over there. Um, 
so but the, those kind of environments to me are so important to get people exposed to this kind of thing and something we were talking about just before the show that kind of goes along with this is especially for mycology there isn't a formal graduate school program necessarily or a formal doctorate so people's exposure would be based on kind of their own gumption i mean you're lucky enough to have a science background where you really have a better basis for a lot of people about equipment needed obviously in michael's case right. i assume he's done a lot of personal research to get to a point where he knows you know how how to work with these things but for the general person if there isn't kind of an academic track to get there and study mycology in this setting you're kind of left only with citizen science, which is great. Your own devices. You're left with your own devices. Exactly. Yep. And I think especially it with mushrooms and mycology, it's like I wonder with the groundswell of people like yourself and Michael, I mean, your guys' case, you basically have the citizen science lab between your two knowledge bases. Like, yeah, we need to get you guys the equipment to do this work. Right. Um, but I, I think that with this groundswell of interest in citizen science, this groundswell of understanding in mushrooms, I mean, it must just be a matter of time, right, before there's some kind of degree or some kind of formal education tract for people who are into mycology to take the next step. You know, if you're going to choose, I, I always evangelize friends and relatives to have their kids when they're selecting a school, like think about mycology as a career path. And then you kind of blew me away with like, well, there is no formal graduate training. Mm -hmm. So do you see something like that being, I know you're not a fortune teller, but do you see something like that like possibly in the future as making like mycology a formalized degree and a formalized track of, of study? I have no idea, but I know Peter McCoy, who is also out there somewhere in Oregon or the West Coast, yep. I believe. Um, he's got some sort of mycology school either happening now or in the works of Michael Lo Lojos, I believe. Yeah, but I don't think it's probably not accredited, right. like an accredited university, unfortunately. I don't know that for a fact, and he's very smart um, and everything, but I, uh, yeah, I would see, and I think I would love to, like, work at something like that, because what I want to do is give my class chemistry for mycologists because that's my training, right? Chemistry. Right. So I can only bring what I know. So I'm trying to bring, it's like bringing to the table what you have. Like if you're out camping or some, something and like you have socks, but the other person has like a spoon to eat or like whatever. It's like doing that right with mycology. But sure. so what I'm interested in and my background is I think I can teach chemistry to mycologists in a way that would be helpful for them and maybe like stuff they wouldn't have learned or thought of or basically chemistry but in the context of mycology and I really want to do more of that so I'm I, w I want to do one I want to do a class on that soon I'm I need so much time to work on it and like make it a great class. Right. And um, I want to even do it now. It was just a two hour lecture. I want now I want to do like an hour and then people break off into groups and do problems together. That is a real chemistry class. And then there'll be a lab portion and then we'll come back together for the final lecture. And that's the dream from the chemistry for mycologist class. So I would love to do that. I just want to teach mycologists what I know so it's easier for them. That's literally it. A little bit about what's frustrating for me with the whole Alan Rockefeller thing. Who was like, you know, the dude's like a god, right? So like whatever. <laughs> but he, it's frustrating for me because I, I'll read like his stuff online, like his protocols. Like I'm literally reading his protocols to figure out how to do it. Um, so, but it's like, he assumes a lot. He assumes a lot of knowledge of chemistry and math and stuff that people don't, might not have. So what I'm saying right. is, all right, let's put the brakes on that, back it up. Let's learn chemistry. Then the next class in the series is going to be molecular biology for mycologists. And I already have both classes, like a rough version written because I presented them both before back to back years um of um William Padilla Brown's festival that he 
through, which I'm actually was, um, I was just so happy to even be part of and like present there at the time because I was like, wow, all these people taught me. And then now I get to like offer my knowledge and teach them. And now I don't want to just do like that festival. I want to like expand it and do more like reach more people and do like more than a two hour, you know, like right. a two hour, two hour keynote lecture where I stand there and lecture at people is great, but let's do like a whole day, make it like a workshop, work with other people. That's how I learned. I learned a lot of right. my stuff by like doing problems with people late at night in the dorm or whatever, you know, it's like, that's where the real learning happens. The lecture, it's too, yeah, it's kind of something people dense, don't necessarily you know? absorb and don't tangibly like work with. And and that's really interesting just how you're kind of backing it up. I'm like, oh, you guys started my college school. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not trying to start a whole program or school. I'm trying to share my knowledge to the universe of mycology. And, you know, with a critical mass of people doing that, like, hey, what gifts can I bring to my college? That's how you probably exactly. make it yep. into a more formalized pillar of the sciences is like, hey, everyone who has, whether it be their knowledge from other sciences, whatever knowledge right. they bring to the party, bring it directed toward mycology. And then we'll start to see like the energy flow into that, the, the knowledge base be built around it. And you know, it'd be much easier to interface with when any of the related parts have people contributing what they know. So you kind of, it, um, it's not divorced from everything else, I guess. And you get that critical mass of people kind of putting, putting their energy into it. And now I do want to get into the art piece of this because obviously oh, yeah. you have a lot of knowledge. You have a mission I'm doing to, too share, much. Yeah. to share chemistry with mycologists, but then, you know, reading your website, it looks like your goal is to kind of fund the effort of that education by providing people with awesome mushroom art. Yeah. I really want to get that going. This is a big art. That's it's a big, it's a small artsy town, but they're big on art. Um, yeah. and they like music a lot, like bluegrass and stuff. So people sit out and play bluegrass in the summer. It's like a big thing. And I would love to just take, couple pictures with me and go to events and have a little table like nothing huge you know like I'm not expecting like to be like the next Picasso or something you know it's not even right. I'm not freaking Picasso like I'm not I'm just taking perspective like I should say like Steve Axford <laughs> he's a famous mushroom photographer he's yeah. the only one that's like super famous like here's 10 crazy mushroom pictures on Facebook you know oh okay the link like the 10 craziest mushroom in the world so all Steve Axford pictures I don't know he's like a National Geographic dude so you're not gunning for his throne you're saying hey no. I've got my own perspective my own cool art <laughs> I'm saying, hey, look at all these mushrooms I'm finding in the woods. And also, yeah. I don't have a DSLR camera. I have a, a iPhone, which I'm getting a new iPhone 11 Pro, like, as soon as I can afford one. Hopefully before the spring diversity comes, because I like that as being mobile, you know? Like, it's important to me. I, I want to be mobile. I don't really need, like, a whole entire camera setup system weighing me down. It'd be nice, but... Especially if I was going to the real jungle or something where there was like really cool, right, like, like South America. You know what? The like iPhone somewhere. cameras are getting really, really good though. So you can be your own yeah. kind of in the field reporter with your iPhone as your camera and be bringing back awesome mushrooms for those of us who might not live in a rainforest and might not have access to all the cool mushrooms that you guys find. Uh, so I I wanted to bring that up because not only do I want people to support you because. You know, I think you guys have the ability to share a lot with the overall citizen mycology community. So we should all want to put some energy into that. But also because I've always been fascinated with the use of mushrooms in art. I see a tidal wave of people's interest in that. You know, uh, everything now with mushrooms on it is cool. Not even if you're, you know, totally a mycophile yet. People just inherently seem to like stuff with mushrooms on it they like mushroom art yeah it's like a thing now it's awesome it's actually way cooler than when i first got into it really like just even five or six or seven years ago i feel like no one liked mushrooms right and now, and now it's, it's like, like this great. big 
cultural thing. Like uh, the Western Anglican society is finally realizing like, how amazing mushrooms are where you see depictions of mushrooms in ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs. You see like the mushroom stones in South America, which I took a whole stone carving class just to make my own alabaster mushroom Whoa. stones. I thought they were that cool. Um, but yeah, you see all this ancient art and like there's always been kind of this human uh, um, connection with fungi in like kind of their they are this alien life form. Like there is something just inherently fascinating about them that you've seen through the centuries represented in art. So I think it fits really well that as people who are kind of messengers of the mushroom or people that just have such an intimate connection like you guys do with fungi to then be using art as a vehicle to not only spread awareness, but directly fund what you're doing to further the advancement of the study of mushrooms, I think just like kind of, fits perfectly um so I, I i did want to highlight that and that kind of leads me right into kind of the future plans because i know that's something that's still in progress but then you're planning like a ton of different events and things coming up yeah i have one thing which i'm not everyone on the podcast should know that I'm not allowing him to release this podcast until I have the tickets up for the event that I'm going to be having in the rainforest. And please, please so have cool. good luck trying to get them because I think it's going to sell out and there's only 125 tickets available. But if people, I just, okay, so 75 of them are going to be for mycologists only. So if you are not a mycologist, your chances are only one in 50 that you come into this event um, because I am really trying hard to get mycologists on board to come and scour this area of the rainforest yeah. together in the most perfect location and no one will need to drive anywhere really um we might send out like a satellite forage to the <laughs> appalachian trail but right. most of the um most of the stuff is going to be like right on it's eight sorry eight hiking trails 32 miles of trails accessible directly from the campground itself so it's an amazing location and yeah i i think people are going to really want to come it's just extremely exciting i can't i didn't sign any of the speaker contracts really yet so i can't really tell you who's going to be speaking as of right now i will by the time the podcast comes out but uh because we didn't like, sign anything official yet i can't say who's gonna be there but i'm really excited about it and um gotta leave a little mystery i'm sure there's gonna be a lot of great yeah. people guys so go check it out now my question has there ever been a convergence of mycologists kind of that kind of myco blitz in this area before or is this area of appalachia still like relatively unknown in terms of the the mycoflora diversity I have a story. Oh, let's hear it. Oh, <laughs> oh, welcome to Mushroom Hour. And I will tell you the story of the other white meat. No, the other mycology event <laughs> that was held down here last year. <laughs> that was a disaster, apparently. Oh. Um, so the Forest Service, I had, I had my work cut out for me because the I could just tell that forest service ranger wanted to deny my event permit so hard. He basically was like, all right, I'll give you a permit to my boss, but doubt it's going to get approved. He basically said that to my face after there was a, a failed in every way mycology event down here from the forest service perspective, because they didn't ever get a permit. Right. So these guys are uh -oh. two men, right. Trying to throw it. I'm not going to mention their names, but they, it was frustrating for me because I had nothing against them, but they had to kind of make things hard for me getting this permit to have it. So these guys kind of poisoned the well for you and now yeah, you're at, so, your ranger Rick has a bad attitude about yeah. it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, he he was he ended up being awesome um, about it. Nice. Because they, what I did was I did the most professional event permit you could possibly imagine. I typed everything up. I included addendums. I included four letters of support with it from within the community, and then another letter of support from someone in California who's coming to the event. And um, I was able to convince them. So they were having a meeting next week about it. And I don't want to like release any tickets or anything before we have that meeting because I have no idea what they're going to say. But sure, sure. it's approved for now. And I'm working really hard on it every day and um, trying to get it all lined up and together. And I'm really excited about it. I've been to a lot, lot of forays speaking events i've been to a lot of music events i've been to a lot of any type of thing you can imagine event so i know how events should be run and one thing i had to agree to for this event is we can't do any vending so it's it's really going to be like all educational um it's the point of it is educational right Um, right not not necessarily like not about people selling, come, but... let me let me sell all these mushroom blocks or like I have right. to like get rid of this to be able to like come there. And the tickets price is gonna be very reasonable. $145 if you're a mycologist, that's three nights of camping. Wow. That's that's reasonable. really good. That's less reasonable. than than day rates for a lot of like those kind of all day intensive events. And you know, not only just to go and be in that space, but to be there with I'm sure the collection of people you're gonna be there is invaluable in terms of the knowledge and everything else that was my uh my that was actually a sneaky thing that i did because the other event the forest ranger in person he had told me oh my god they charge 150 dollars a person and like the camping was only like 40 dollars a night or whatever it was he's like they really rip people off and i was like i'm gonna charge 145 and do a better event And I think it's so cool that, you know, you were able to like be this super professional, like biochemist, like, let me give you my permit with addendums and with statements. And to me, that's so funny to like go next level and like, oh, oh, really? You're thinking about denying this? Well, here, let me make this the most professional thing you've probably yes, ever seen in your was. days as a ranger. It was probably. It was like a packet of information. It was like a three page letter from me. Right. Four four letters of support for community members, including a lawyer and a multiple business owner. And someone, I also, the clincher, I got someone to write who was paid to speak at the event last year. You've got like the best seal of approval. And you can always be like, well, that was actually just an abstract. Now we're going to give you the real application. No. (laughs) So that's awesome. Now, what is the name of that event? By the time this is released, there will be tickets. We'll link that all up. But what is the name of the event? We're thinking, uh... I believe it's going to be the um, the Rainforest Hideaway Mycology Convergence 2020. So cool. I love that name. I actually had it right here, but I, I was teeing that up for but I thought it was such a cool name. We needed to get it out there. The Rainforest Hideaway Mycology Con- Convergence. Convergence. I want to be there. Um, that's yeah. really cool. And then what <laughs> what other classes, like between yourself and, um, and Michael, what other classes do you guys have planned coming up? Because that's um, like a huge project, especially on the heels of like a failed attempt in your area. But that's a huge project and an amazing piece of like one of the only temperate rainforests. But then what else do you guys have teed up? Yeah, so so it's that. That's July 10th through 12th. And then um, we have on Leap Day, which is February 29th, we're doing our class at the Murphy Art Center, Intro to Mushrooms. And then... Uh, on Pi Day, which is three fourteen, March 14th, Michael's doing a medicinal mushroom class also at a different place called the Herbal Butterfly in Murphy. But nice. I'm just going to be there as like moral support and help with like vending and stuff. Um, and and then hopefully chemistry for mycologists in Lancaster, Pennsylvania sometime in April or May. I wanted to figure out the dates for that by today but it just didn't happen so sorry guys i'll put it on my instagram and it actually is a basic thing that i forgot to cover just basic chemistry for mycologists can you talk for just a second about reagents and their use in id that's something that i've been seeing more and more i still don't quite understand what are some like basic reagents or uh, chemical compounds that you can 
drip and drab on the mushrooms to help with ID or, or what does that world look like? Yeah, so um, I basically made a product for Michael's company, Mushroom Life. I don't sell it through my website because I just do the art. Um, but Michael sells it on mushroomlife.com. You can get a set of chemical reagents for mushroom identification. And it's three, uh, three bottles of liquids. They're different color bottles to help you in case the label falls off. Um, and it's just three of the most common chemicals. Um, I didn't make them up. This was just like, these are chemicals at concentrations that people have been using, um, for you know decades basically and um i figured out what they are are on the mushroom expert website which is like a valuable resource that i always use for stuff and Uh if you go on the mushroom expert website you can see there's like all sorts of different chemicals people use some of them are really hard to get a hold of though so um it's you know it's what you can find it's what you can use um one of them is just like a common uh, lye potassium hydroxide, um, for for instance, at a four percent concentration. If you drop that on, for example, just example, agaricus mushroom, um, there's specific. You can tell what the edibility is potentially because what? if it turn, turns yellow, then it's not edible it's probably xanthodermis or xanthoderma yeah i haven't i'm like a little bit behind in my but that see that's where uh, it seems like magic spring mushroom uh that's where it seems like magic with the chemistry applied to mycology just that statement and obviously that's like an example we're not holding you to that as being a definitive but just that idea of you could tell edibility from application of certain compounds to the mushroom really i mean that's fascinating and that's something i think that even for the mycophile kind of entry level forager isn't too uh isn't too complicated to be able to understand some basic reagents that really can accelerate your ability to identify yeah and there's a lot of different things like folates folates one of the other chemicals is ammonia just literally like i don't know five to ten percent solution of ammonia um that can change that can go from having no color change on a bully to just like sometimes it'll just be like a flash of one color and then we'll settle into a like another color which is really weird so they they use that sort of color change motif in bully id sometimes to know what you have not necessarily because of edibility but just like to like know what bully that is because there's a lot of bullets where it's like oh this could be like one of three or six or whatever so it's hard sometimes to distinguish and then bullets are just really hard in general because they don't follow rules a lot of times <laughs> either so anything any sort of tool or anything you can get sometimes to help you find one thing that's different from this mushroom to this mushroom like I don't know. I would love like future goal and something I would love is to take, make like a spreadsheet of reactions and take people's experiences and like put those on a spreadsheet. That would be awesome. I would have loved to started doing that when we started selling your reagents, but that, that was like three years ago at this point And it's just a pipe dream but it would be something else could be done to further the field that's that's what i think is so cool still about mycology is as other disciplines like for yourself as someone who's into chemistry as other disciplines are applied we're like constantly discovering more and more about this entire kingdom and that's something that i think makes it uh really appealing to people who are kind of citizen mycologists or really sparks people's interest to get into that is it still is largely unexplored. It's one of those few domains left in the modern world that feels like there aren't definitive answers to everything. There is still room to explore and discover things. And after talking with a number of different foragers, I mean, it's not, it isn't that far-fetched that you like discover mushrooms that haven't been discovered. You sequence a mushroom that hasn't been sequenced. We just need more people doing it. Doing it. Yep. Ditto. And Thanks. I- 
<laughs> well, I just think that's so cool. And I love that you're bringing like your talents to bear on this thing. Um, you're bringing your talents to bear on mycology, which is the application of chemistry, even sometimes basic chemistry that like someone like me who's been doing this three or four years, I don't really have a knowledge of chemistry. So knowing more about that, like I said, just seeing you guys using some of those basic re reagents was kind of blowing my mind. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's so much to be gained by people like you putting your disciplines from other sciences or whatever it may be into the world of mycology. It's really going to enhance this thing and make it more accessible to everyone and easier for everyone to explore. Well, you're doing that more than we are. I think your thing is going to make it more easier and accessible for everyone to explore more than my thing even is. Even if I took groups out in the woods 20 people a weekend like hopefully eventually people can just listen to this whenever they don't need to wait until i have an event or whatever so you're actually like <laughs> could possibly be like 24 hour day access to cool fun knowledge well like i told you that's for me what's the joy about having people like yourself on who really have so much knowledge and so much information. And if I can provide a spotlight for that and coming from the perspective of someone who is more like a little more of a neophyte to be able to come from that perspective and share that with people who don't know um, all these amazing things about kingdom fungi yet, that is like a privilege to be able to share that information with people and share people like yourself with a greater community. Um, so as we wrap up, I've got a couple little questions here, but I'll just limit it to one. What, and this is a hard question I know for a lot of people, what is your favorite mushroom? Uh, so this is my, people get so annoyed by this question, by the way. And I'm, no finding I'm finding that. I'm finding that because people are like, what do you mean? There's so many. And like, what are you, are you talking about what one to eat? What one to look at? Like, what are you talking about? Every Every person has an issue with this question because I have a Facebook group, Chemistry for Mycologists, and one of the questions to get into the group is, what's your favorite mushroom? We just put it on there because it's a good question to distinguish a human from a robot, right? But sure. people are like, I cannot answer this at all. Or like, or they'll be like, <laughs> they'll like list like 10, like yeah. for eating this one, for making hats out of this one for this and this one this and this one and i'm like dude all right i don't even people wish that i read all of them or that i had time to read all of them because some will be like whole paragraphs i'm like all right you're committed you really want to be in this group like accept <laughs> yeah you're like you're not a robot you're really you're really passionate i like it you're in yeah <laughs> yep so, um, my favorite mushroom, well, it has to be reishi, right? Because it was on that. Um, sure, that's inspired at that all. Magazine, um, and that was just the beauty that pulled me in. But I also like some other weirdos. There's a weird crust fungus, crust fungus, <laughs> and it's called Tarana. I think it's pronounced like this. This is how I pronounce it: Tarana cerulea. Like, um, oh. it's blue. It's called the velvet blue spread. That sounds beautiful. And and so I, I'm pretty sure we see. I've seen a picture of that on your page before. Probably, but it's pretty rare. It's really hard to find because it's just on sticks, just laying on the ground in random fields. And it and it's only time I've ever found it. I think is Maryland and oh, I think Gary Linkoff found some in. Virginia that one time at the Namaphore too. It was like really beautiful for what I remember. Wow. It was like all over the trail when we were in the Shenandoah for the Namaphore. That's something I want to mention too because yeah. I was talking to the Secretary of NAMA trying to get my event to be a NAMA regional foray and NAMA is the North American Mycological Association and uh, they're just having very low registration rates because a lot of their uh, members are getting up in age and uh, it would be cool if like younger people became members because they could really use that right now oh and i think that's such a big thing thank you for bringing that up because my number one advice to people who want to get into this um maybe it depends on your personality but for me books are great internet forums are great but the way that i learned probably the fastest and got 
the most stoked about mushrooms was going in person and meeting people at events. I always tell people, if you want to like put yourself on the fast track to learning about fungi, especially like in certain regions, you go to either a local mycology club foray or a NAMA event and mm-hmm. you meet people that have been foraging in that area for so long. They know, know. the specific mushrooms in that region, what to look for, where, I mean, apart from just actual spots that they might not share with you, they know the so much about the habitat, how to get started. And I think people sometimes get a little intimidated. It's like, no, they actually want members. Like people are yeah. really nice and welcoming when you like the fact that you're showing up, you're like in the club, you're in the group. I think it's like 30 something dollars a year. It's not even like crazy. Enough. Oh, that's ridiculous. That is, that is, that's well, uh, and the, all my college clubs are like that. It's like 20 bucks, 30 bucks a year. And I've gotten so much value out of that. So thank you for bringing that up. I like to get on my soapbox and tell people like, join your local mycology club, join your local forage club, or in this case, the national association. I mean, you'll, you'll learn a ton and make connections with people that are so knowledgeable. That'll be like, you it's know, actually a North American mycological association. So it's oh, more than national. International. It's- Continental, continental continental north american mycological association so yep. i'll put the link at that's a great point i'm going to put the link up to nama uh, obviously we're going to link up your website michael's website a lot of the cool stuff we've been talking about i'm going to put in the show notes <clears throat> but as we wrap up is there anything else you want to make sure to get out there any final thoughts any final promo mm-hmm. I really think I talked to your ear off. Oh, so two books I wanted to say. So you asked about books. Yeah. Um, the one for this area is uh, the mushroom book for this area. It's going to be Mushrooms of Northeastern North America. Okay. And uh, the another book that's just really cool that your listeners might like that not a lot of people know about is this book by this dude, Stephen Herod Buner. I think that's how you say it. Herod like. H-A-R-R-O-D. The book is called Plant Intelligence and the Imaginal Realm Beyond the Doors of Perception into the Dreaming of Earth. Wow. That sounds like a spiritual experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually Reading that an awesome book. book. <laughs> That's a good one. So Stephen Herod Buner, Plant Intelligence and the Imaginal Realm Beyond the Doors of Perception into the Dreaming of Earth. That's amazing. Yes. So oh. everyone should get that. It's kind of expensive and it's a thick boy, but it's uh, it's definitely like worth it if you're into this kind of stuff with mush. And it's not just plants, it's mushrooms too, but it's like, you know, life intelligence um, really. But um, yeah, that guy is something else. Really cool. Well, connect with the other organisms. We we need to connect our consciousness with the other organisms on this planet if we're going to live in harmony. And this book sounds like one little step to doing that. Yep. So thanks for the thanks for the recommendation. All right, the Mandy. Hot, hot tip. Yep. The hot tip on the good books. Uh, well, yep. thank you so much for your time and and coming on the Mushroom Hour. It's been a real pleasure. I was really stoked when you reached out to me. But uh, hopefully, we'll stay connected and uh, we'll try to. I definitely love the idea of a hideaway in the rainforest, but yeah, hopefully we'll see each other at events and uh, stay in contact in the future. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening.